The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the topic today is uh, continuing on the theme of exploring delusion. In this uh, Tuesday morning class, we've been kind of going through, actually we've been going through the Eightfold Path in the large scale lately. Um, and in the last um, many weeks, we've been going through wise mindfulness. And within wise mindfulness, looking at the third foundation, this is actually where how we've gotten to delusion, just the exploration of how we've gotten to explore delusion. In the third foundation, there's a uh, an encouragement to understand the presence and absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so uh, it did seem useful to take a period of time to go a little more in depth in, in exploring uh, delusion because it is such a hard thing to understand and a hard thing to really see. By its very nature, delusion obscures. And so it, it can be challenging to see. And so some uh, some descriptions of the ways that it happens. Um, so that's that's what we've been exploring in these last few weeks. Last time we began a, a, a deeper dive into the kind of fundamental delusions of our humanity, of our human experience. In earlier weeks we explored kind of more, you could call higher level delusion or you know, the, the delusion of just being checked out, not kind of disconnected, the, the, the personal delusions that come in our own lives, the, the views that are shaped by our direct experience, by our culture, by our families. We've also explored those as forms of delusion. Views and beliefs we hold that we, um, uh, that we personally hold, they're not necessarily uh, spread across all humans, uh, but you know that come from our culture, for instance, or the way we were raised in our family. These these views tend to create filters. They create um, uh, ways of viewing the world that have us take in certain experiences that tend to confirm those views, and not take in experiences that disconfirm those views. So the views themselves do not necessarily have to be delusional. Because we all need views in a way to navigate the world, but what where the delusion comes in is not seeing that it is a view, not seeing that it is a perspective rather than what we usually take our views to be as truth. This is the way it is. And so and also not seeing that that, that our views shape how we take in experience. We often think we're taking in experience neutrally, as if we were cameras and microphones just recording what's happening. But that's not the way our system works. It is selective depending on what our views and beliefs are. And not being aware of that is a foundational way of how delusion works. And so that's some of what we've talked about in previous weeks. The human form of delusion is kind of misperceptions, we could say, misunderstandings about experience that we all share as human beings. The Buddha had enough clarity to identify that we tend to, as human beings, 
take what is impermanent to be permanent, take what is unreliable as a source of happiness to be a reliable source of happiness, and tend to take what is not self to be self. These um, forms of delusion may underlie some of the other views that we have, but but the the Buddha kind of um, dove underneath that to point to kind of the foundational delusions that shape how we relate to the world and shape in particular how we get caught and how we suffer. So when we take something that is impermanent to be permanent, we tend to hold on to it. We tend to take it as being a place of of lasting happiness. And then we suffer when that thing changes, as it will, because it is impermanent. Corollary to that, that we tend to take what is unreliable to be reliable. This is a direct connection to the impermanent nature of experience. What is impermanent is unreliable. But sometimes we are aiming towards, oh, this will be where I can land. This, this is what's reliable for happiness. So this is a different flavor of this delusion. And that's the one I'd like to spend some time on today. The delusion of taking what is unreliable to be reliable. And the teaching, some of the teachings the Buddha had around exploring this aspect of our experience. So this... Um, this delusion, as a human delusion, it, 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 it's kind of connected to the very natural human experience of feeling pleasure when there's something pleasant that happens, of liking that. The, the, the pleasure that we get you know, this is in, in our, from the time that we're born, you know, this is a key way that we feel good when we get um, sense pleasure. We get fed, we're warm. These are sense pleasures. And they're not bad. They're not at all bad. But the, the learning that seems to happen as a human being, what happens as a human being, is that the pleasure that we get from those sense pleasures, is uh, it starts to become a driver of our intentions, our actions, our motivations. And we, you know, kind of end up with our experience, especially early in our life, probably the main pleasures that we experience are sense pleasure. And so there's a kind of a conditioning that happens that that's how I feel good. That's the way to feel good. And what basically ultimately happens is the belief that that's the only way that I feel good. When I get something that I want, when I get that sense pleasure, when I get rid of something that I don't want, that's also a kind of sense pleasure in a way that pushing away something that's unpleasant also results in a pleasant experience. And so the, um, you know, the, 
the misperception essentially around a sense pleasure is that sense pleasure is the best possible happiness. And that in order to have happiness in this life, I need to have that sense pleasure. And it needs, it's like kind of like we, we come, I think of this as like stringing, like beads on a string. It's like we, we may understand at some level, we understand that a particular sense pleasure doesn't last. But what we do end up believing is that the way to happiness is to string one moment of sense pleasure after another, like beads on a string. And that if we don't do that, then there's something wrong. You know, we, we, we feel the unpleasantness of not having the sense pleasure. And, and we often will, will take that as um, either I did something wrong, I failed somehow, I didn't do it right, or the world is, is against me somehow, or other people are preventing me from, from getting what I want, or the world is conspiring against me. We, we have those those senses and and that that happens you know the world does you know, the people do prevent us from from getting things at times but the the mistake is believing that that is the the only way to happiness so that's where the delusion that's the kernel of the delusion in this misperception taking what is unreliable to be reliable the the unreliable that is pointed to here essentially um in, is one of the main unreliable experiences is pointed to is sense pleasure although you know that we also can can in some ways cling to and this gets as we go through our meditation practice this this unfolds that we begin to cling to not not sense pleasure but the states of mind that come the wholesome beautiful states of mind that come with our with our practice we can also cling to those thinking somehow that's it that's what would be reliable so it is this and and those two are impermanent they change they're they're not stable either so the impermanent nature of ex all experience makes it unreliable. But a big, a big source of this um, uh, confusion around unreliability is the, the, the teachings point to exploring the sense pleasure, exploring the unreliability of sense pleasure. So there's a, a, a teaching that the Buddha offers about this. It's a three-part teaching where he encourages us to explore the gratification that comes with sense pleasure, then the danger of that, the danger that's associated with that kind of pull towards sense pleasure, and then the escape, the possibility of kind of uh, kind of the trap door that allows us to free ourselves from that whole that whole kind of uh, uh, view that whole view that the the sense pleasure is how I can move towards happiness. This is a very deeply conditioned view. It seems to be conditioned in our humanness. This would be a very rare human being that did not have this view. 
So it's natural in a way, and yet it's not hardwired, this kind of um, uh, it is possible to understand that it has been shaped by our experience, this belief that we like sense pleasure, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty, um, you know, human. But the belief that that is the only way to happiness, that is a conditioned belief. It's deeply conditioned. So the Buddha encouraged us to begin to explore the whole pattern of gratification around sense pleasure. This is where the, the teaching starts. And I actually love that, that he begins here. You know, it's kind of like telling us, to, well, start where you are. You know, you experience gratification, you experience delight, you experience happiness when you get sense pleasure. So notice that. He's not telling us avoid sense pleasure here. There is a, a teaching where he says we need to avoid the desire for sense pleasure. We need to, um, and but avoidance here has a has a, a you know it doesn't mean resist or push away. But it 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 does mean to begin to be curious about what is it what might it mean to let go of, abandon, you know sense, desire desire for sense pleasure. And the way into that abandoning, the way into that letting go, the Buddha noticed or, or explored this possibility of investigating what is the gratification of sense pleasure. My sense is this is the way he explored it. So the, the exploration is to, to recognize, yes, there is a delight, there is a joy, there is a happiness that comes with getting what we want. What is that gratification? And in particular, the Buddha encourages us to recognize the, the, the language in the translation, I like this language, the language in the translation around this teaching is, notice how far the gratification extends. Essentially, how long does it last? This begins to help to point out to us that these sense pleasures yield a fleeting happiness. Happiness comes and lasts for a certain amount of time and then goes. And when we, we begin to investigate the whole process, we might see that, um, you know, the, the, the gratification comes um, and, um, and then there's a process of thinking about. So we might, we might um, you know, get something that we really like and we have that gratification of the having of it. But then there's another process that starts of, um, you know, thinking about that we have it and then an appreciation of that part so that it, it becomes almost a second removed kind of gratification as opposed to the direct gratification of the having or the getting. And so really starting to explore what is the gratification? How does it function? And what happens when that gratification ends? 
So the, um, the gratification that comes is where the delusion begins to creep in. We get that gratification. And as I said earlier, we kind of get that sense or that belief that that is the way to happiness. And so the belief becomes strong. The belief that I need more sense pleasure to have happiness, that becomes kind of our motivating drive. What is actually happening there, and this is where it begins to lead into the second piece of, of noticing what the danger of sense pleasure is. As we observe the, uh, the gratification, the delight, and begin to see that it is not permanent, what we'll, what we'll start to see is that gratification falls apart. What springs up next is the wanting for another sense pleasure to fill in that hole of that waning gratification. And that wanting, that pattern, that cycle of getting something that I want, having that moment of gratification, the fading of it, which we maybe haven't been so conscious of to see just how fleeting it actually is, and then seeing the wanting that comes on that, the heels of that fading of gratification, seeing that cycle begins to help us understand what the Buddha calls the danger of relying on the unreliable. Because we end up kind of trapped in a wheel or a cycle of um, uh, getting something that we want, noticing that it goes away, then getting the next thing, you know, then, then having the wanting spring up, going for the next thing, perhaps getting that. And then what happens there is that the, um, there's this cycle of wanting something and getting it and the gratification that comes from the getting of it. But what we often don't notice, and this actually, if we, if we apply the, um, the encouragement to become aware of the whole process, we'll start to notice that the wanting, the wanting itself actually has an unpleasant quality. That we often miss completely. And this may be, again, part of the driver of this delusion as well, because the, the, the suffering around the wanting is a little more subtle the suffering of the experience of wanting. It's not subtle when we actually are curious about what is this experience of wanting? Because as soon as wanting arises, there is a feeling of lack. There's a feeling of something is missing. And that something missing experience is unpleasant. And so what do we want to do with that feeling of lack is to uh, have something that fills that lack so that we don't have the feeling of lack. But then, so then we also, um, when we get something that we want, we get a two-part happiness, essentially. We get a, a happiness of the getting of the thing, the pleasure of being associated with something pleasant. 
but we also get the pleasantness of the feeling of the lack going away. And this, essentially this cycle, when we believe that the only way to happiness is to get something that I want, it becomes a self-reinforcing cycle. It's a very powerful driver. When we want something, that feeling is unpleasant, but we, we often, before we start to really look at this, we do not actually recognize the unpleasantness of wanting. Some of us actually might think that wanting is pleasant because it, within the wanting, there is delusion. The delusion of wanting is when I get that thing, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be happy. And so when the wanting, the delusion of wanting is obscuring the unpleasantness of the experience of wanting, because the, the delusion of wanting is hooked to the future idea of getting that thing. And there's a pleasantness in that, the idea of the getting, the promise of the getting has a kind of uh, uh, delight or happiness to it. Anticipation, we sometimes might call this. So the anticipation basically masks the unpleasantness of the wanting itself. And so it, you know, again, this is a, a brilliant kind of understanding of the Buddha to kind of aim back to, well, what is the experience that's happening? around wanting. There's this kind of projection to the future of the anticipation and, oh, that feels kind of good. But the feeling of wanting itself, that feeling of lack, that feeling of lack, sometimes we, a wanting springs up before we know what we want. It's like just the, the diminishment of the pleasure the waning of that pleasure, because the experience is impermanent, the waning of that pleasure creates that experience of um, like wanting to get a pleasure again. And so there's a wanting that springs up that basically is kind of looking around like, well, what can I want? Wanting to want, basically. What can I want in order to get something so that I have that moment of getting that thing that I want. But actually what we're going for there is a lot about the release of the wanting. And that's another part of the delusion that's going on here. We think that in order to have the wanting go away, wanting tells you, the belief in wanting, the delusion in wanting, wanting tells you that in order for this feeling, this kind of itch, to go away. It has to be scratched. It has to be fulfilled by getting what I want. But that is a delusion. And as an exploration around this process, we'll show you, you know, the, the exploration of the experience of wanting itself, curious about that. You know, I've watched this and seen for myself, you know, there's one, the, the first time I really saw this clearly, watching the wanting, watching the pull to, this was just to look at somebody on a retreat, you know, just watching that pull. And then uh, seeing that, uh, not following through on the wanting, but just watching what happened to the wanting. I got curious about noticing when the wanting sprang up and when it, um, what happened to it when I didn't follow through on the wanting.
the wanting didn't last. There were conditions for the wanting. And in this case, uh, wanting to look at people while I'm on retreat, when I was trying not to look at people. Um, when the person disappeared from the possibility of an easy viewing, the wanting disappeared. And it felt like that moment was a real kind of aha understanding because it felt like when the, the wanting was released, it felt like my mind had been released from a vice grip. And there was no, there was no need to like go chase after the person and then try to look at them. There was, it was, there was no desire for that. The wanting had gone. And that understanding then of the, the ending of the wanting is a different kind of happiness. That's a pointing to the escape. That's a pointing to that third piece. That we, we don't have to fulfill necessarily all of our wantings. That craving, that desire, that pulling towards. And yet what I do want to say, you know, like, um, sense pleasure comes, it comes to us in our lives and we don't have to avoid sense pleasure. In fact, sense pleasure is necessary for our lives. The Buddha discovered this in his journey as a whole, you know, there's this one stretch of time where he was, you know, essentially following a, a teaching of the day around denying himself of bodily needs, denying himself of food, even potentially doing some kind of um, ascetic practices that created great pain in the body, stopping his breath so that he wouldn't breathe for long stretches of time, and then gasping for breath when he had to. Not eating, he got down, to, said he got down to eating one grain of rice a day, so really denying his body of the human, um, you know, the kind of the human pleasure of eating and breathing, you know, just the kind of basic things, you know, when we breathe, actually, it can be pleasant. When we're attuned to it, there's a pleasure there. When we eat, there's pleasure there. And the Buddha in his, in his kind of turning point in this, in this journey recognized this was not the way denying himself these human needs and the pleasure that comes with that, that was not the way. And so he began eating, he began making himself healthy again and, and explore, exploring, well, maybe there's another way, maybe there's something else and actually discovered that, you know, the pleasure of concentration the pleasure of looking at the mind was a, a different pathway. And so it's not about denying oneself from pleasure, but it's definitely the curiosity about how that pattern works and the delusion that's embedded in wanting, wanting to have something in order to be happy. When we explore this wanting too, you know, it's been kind of shocking to me, even simple wantings like, and this on retreat, you know, where your your um, sense pleasure is, you know, gets down to the basics like meals and, you know, and when somebody puts chocolate out, you know, it's like 
the the wanting around chocolate you know when i really observed this it was it was amazing to me that wanting around the chocolate the delusion embedded in that did not admit the possibility that that pleasure around the chocolate would be fleeting so the delusion in wanting does not take in that understanding it actually believes the delusion in wanting actually believes it's gonna make me happy for a long time kind of shocking when it's so easy to see through our you know rational minds it's so easy to see that you know chocolate actually when i looked at it you know the pleasure of chocolate was it lasted a long time you know a minute after or so a minute after the chocolate was gone from my mouth there was still you know the little tastes of chocolate in my mouth and um you know the pleasure that comes apparently with the the endorphins that come with the chocolate the pleasure of chocolate lasted a little while but not much longer than a minute <laughs> but i was still surprised that it lasted that long but the wanting the wanting believed it would last a long time so this is the delusion that we are faced with, essentially. So the escape, the escape with respect to this delusion, the seeing through of the delusion, comes with some of the understanding that um, as we practice, so the practice comes with the you know, the, the mindfulness, being aware of what's happening, um, curiosity about this pattern, curiosity about gratification, about how the wanting works. But as we're exploring that, the mindfulness is strengthening and we're beginning to experience a different kind of pleasure, the pleasure of some wholesome states, the pleasure that comes not from wanting something, but from just being with experience as it is. Sometimes there's the feeling of connection, of care, of love, of, of compassion, of patience, of delight and joy. These feelings come with our practice and they're not connected with getting something or that wanting. In fact, they, they can come in as I noticed in my, in my exploration around the, um, you know, looking at the wanting, a completely different kind of happiness came with the release of that wanting. An ease and a kind of settledness that wasn't about getting something. So this understanding as we practice, both we see the unreliable nature of what we've been relying on, we recognize that side of it. So that goes in kind of cognitively in a way that we understand, yeah, that doesn't last very long. So that begins to work a little bit. But then as we really watch the wanting, another, another understanding that's connected to the escape is, is seeing the unpleasantness of the wanting, seeing through the delusion of wanting that is putting us into that anticipation, thinking that wanting is pleasant when we actually see that wanting is unpleasant. This is another uh, way the mind will move in the direction of 
letting go of the wanting. When the mind understands that the the wanting itself is not conducive of well-being, is not well-being, the mind begins to reorient and to let go, to, to, uh, to, to, to begin to figure out how to let go of that wanting. And then the direct experience of seeing at times. Now, we don't often see this. We don't, we don't, I mean, I've seen it a few times, the disappearance of wanting. Much of the time, what I notice is that there's a wanting happening and I'm observing it. And at some point, the mind kind of, the, the wanting weakens to the point where it's not so strong anymore. I haven't really seen it disappear, but the wanting weakens. And then the mind is off to something else. And sometime later, I realize, oh, that wanting is gone. It's not there anymore. And so that's useful to see that that wanting is gone and that kind of in enchantment with the belief that that thing's going to make me happy, that that's gone. But we haven't necessarily seen the, the release in the moment. It's useful that seeing or recognizing, oh, that wanting's no longer there. And the, the absence of the need to fulfill that wanting is gone. That's useful, again, kind of cognitively. It helps our mind to understand some things. Like we, we learn things from two levels. We learn it from our head, from, from seeing things and understanding things from our cognitive side. And we also learn from the experiential side of understanding the direct experience that wanting is not conducive of well-being. Wanting is not well-being. By understanding directly the impermanent nature of what we want. And then also the the more direct experience of the escape from this delusion comes when we actually see the wanting disappear. We can taste, we taste a completely different kind of happiness. That's a real shift in our our mind stream. Now, that experience I had many years ago, it certainly didn't like, take care of all of my wantings, but it really helped to uh, have me understand that the need to fill the wanting was just a belief in many cases. Now, certainly when the body is hungry and it needs to be fed, that's, that's, a, that's a different kind of thing as the Buddha was pointing to in his understanding around this is not the way. I need to feed myself. There needs to be nourishment. There needs to be strength of body and mind in order to, to live, in order to see, in order to understand. But so many of our wantings are not about the biological needs of the body. Many of them are around things like wanting to look at somebody on retreat or other things, believing, bigger things even, you know, the believing that I need to have a certain job or I need to have people uh, see me in a certain way in order to be okay. So there's, there's a lot of wantings and beliefs that are running how we are living our lives. And so again, the exploration is what it is it, where is it that we're getting the gratification? Look at that. Be curious about the wanting that's in there. And I would add, look at the beliefs that are in the wanting. 
Look at the beliefs that are connected to the wanting. Some of those may come from our personal conditioning, some of those beliefs that are in the wanting. Like what kind of what kind of job we should have that could be conditioned based on our family's expectations. Becoming a meditation teacher wasn't in my my parents plans for me, there was a little uh, confusion in their mind when I switched from being a well paid computer programmer to a Donna based meditation teacher. But over time, they saw the happiness. And my mom, you know, just she just said, you're happier than I've ever seen you. That makes me happy. <laughs> so, you know, those those views, those, those beliefs can be conditioned into us by our family, our conditioning, but then the, the basic, the basic human conditioning is that wanting needs to be fulfilled in order for happiness to happen. And that's a fundamental misperception, misunderstanding that can begin to be seen through by looking at this pattern, by seeing how when the wanting disappears, you don't have to get the thing. That was that, that was that, that was that big, that was the big aha moment of that moment. I didn't have to look at that person for the happiness for there to be happiness, for there to be okayness. The wanting itself was the suffering, not the not having. That's a real shift of mind around this pattern of wanting. So those are, those are some thoughts on this uh, delusion of the unreliable taking the unreliable to be reliable and we have some time so if there's any comments or questions you're welcome to just unmute yourself and and uh, ask or if you don't want to have your voice on the recording you can type in a question in the chat box Any comments? Anything? It doesn't have to be a question. I always have something else I can say, but <laughs> I'd rather hear from you. Okay. Yeah, Kate. I'll say something. Um, I, I was struck by the, um, when you said um, that another, another kind of wanting we can look at is about, like, I think you used the uh, example of how we want other people to see us. And it, it, just, um, it just made me think about wantings that are of that nature of like wanting to be a certain way or wanting people to feel a certain way about me. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought about looking at that wanting in, in quite the same way as I would thinking I wanna buy a new pair of shoes. Yeah. Yeah, it can be really useful. I mean, it gets into the terrain of the next delusion of self, 
you know, so it does begin to open us to that. But sometimes it's the the wanting piece or the the longing, you know, to be seen in a certain way that we can look at that longing um, and learn some things about then about the identities that are in play there. And so mm-hmm. this can be this exploration can take us into a little bit of the exploration of not self also, you know, as we explore that flavor of the wanting. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Jan, and then Charles Lee. Um, let me turn off that noise. Um, it, I, I, I may not necessarily be aware I'm wanting um, because I've been fortunate and I've arranged everything so I get, mostly think I'm gonna get what I want, right? <laughs> But, but all the times, which are many a day, I don't get what I want or expect, you know, that irritation or the suffering comes in. And that's the time, if I'm lucky and being mindful, I can, um, I had a moment like that yesterday, just serendipitously, some little thing, you know, and the, if the sink went wrong, they're not as expected. And it, I just stepped back and I went, wow. Does that does that really matter? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And here I have all this suffering about it, you know, and that 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 irritability. So it, it seems like that whenever I notice that, that would be a good practice. Go, oh, I was expecting this to be reliable. Exactly, and it's really useful to look at those areas, you know, the ones that are not so big. They're much easier to to kind of explore you know there that the not getting the chocolate or the not looking at somebody those are easier to really explore and and the learnings that can happen from them can kind of then infuse or or kind of touch into some of the bigger ones then too so yeah absolutely those can be really great places to notice now you may not have seen the expectation right it's like the expectation is seen when it's denied or, you know, when the expectation is not met. And at that point, you know, there's already suffering often because the expectation had been in play, but, you know, you can at least begin to recognize, oh, there was that expectation (laughs) that was supposed to go the way I wanted it to. Yeah, that's, those are great times to, to play with this. Thanks. Charles Lee. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful topic, and um, something I like to look at a lot um, in uh, in sitting practice, um, and also something I see um, in my consumer identity and my children's consumer identity. The um, and I know what I notice is that there is uh, there is such relief when. I've actually ordered the thing or I know that it's coming. Um, and in many times more pleasure than from the actual item itself. It's like the relief of the craving is, 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 is so pleasurable. And I see that in my kids, um, you know, when, um, you know, they want something and now they know they they're going to get it and they get it and it's like, eh, and then they, and then the cycle starts again. It's like, okay, what can I, what can I crave next? And I do the, I do the same thing. I'm, I'm no, 
I'm no, no different than my children. And, um, and I also find it interesting in, in, um, in, in uh, kind of uh, addiction medicine, um, they find the same, same prospect in, in um, addiction models in which at first there's uh, intense pleasure from the substance, um, but at some point um, really it becomes about relieving the, the craving more than the substance itself and that uh, they find that um, the, uh, the person who is addicted to a substance actually has the most pleasure right before using the substance. The use of the substance actually, um, actually doesn't bring as much pleasure as the relief of the craving for the substance. And possibly the anticipation of the relief too, you know, that moment of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's really, uh, I think it's really, what you're seeing is really important that when does that, when does that pleasure happen? That's a great way to look at it. You know, does it actually happen when I get it <laughs> or does it happen like sometime before, you know, just with the idea? Yeah. There's a famous, there's a, not a famous, there's a, there's a quote from Winnie the Pooh that I like, um, where, you know, uh, Christopher Robin is asking Winnie the Pooh, what does he like more than anything in the world? And Chris and Winnie the Pooh says, well, honey is really nice. You know, I really like honey, but there's a moment right before I get honey. That's even better. <laughs> so that's it. That's that moment, you know. <laughs> so thank you for pointing to that. I think that's a really good place to, to look as well to see that. 